I'm Steph. And I'm Jeff. Each week, we review a film that's streaming online. As writers, we'll deep dive into the characters and plot to tell you if it's a good story. Listen at your own risk. This review contains spoilers. Now sit back. Relax. And and enjoy enjoy Stream On. Today, we'll be reviewing The Howling, streaming on Shudder. Karen is a news anchor in the midst of an investigation of a serial killer. She has almost killed herself. Suffering from PTSD, she heads to the Colony, a group therapy community in Northern California. She finds it is home to a pack of werewolves who are trying to fit into the modern world. Will Karen escape? Or will the last sound she hears be the howling? The Howling is directed by Joe Dante and written by John Sayles and Terrence H. Winkless. It's based on the novel The Howling by Gary Bradner. It's a 1981 horror film starring Dee Wallace as Karen White, a TV news anchorwoman, Patrick McNee as Dr. George Wagner, a TV psychiatrist personality, Elizabeth Brooks as Marcia Quist, a female werewolf, Robert Picardo as Eddie Quist, a male werewolf and serial killer that becomes obsessed with Karen on TV, Kevin McCarthy of Invasion of the Body Snatchers fame from 1956, a movie we recently reviewed, as Fred Francis, the sexist producer, Christopher Stone as Bill Neal, Karen's husband, who turns into a werewolf. Dennis Dugan as Chris Halloran, an investigative reporter. And Belinda Belosky as Terry Fisher, also an investigative reporter. So, Jeff, you chose this film. Why did you pick The Howling? For a couple of reasons. First, it is a great horror movie. Specifically, it is a great monster movie. There are a lot of different types of horror movies. Some are trying to gross you out. Some are really getting into the dread. This one is really about the monsters. It is one of the first films to show a full-body transformation. You know, it's one of the first, like, real shape-shifting movies that used all the latex bladders and extending claws and puppet work and all that kind of stuff. Prior to this film, shape-shifting, especially werewolf movies, had a lot to do with dissolves. Basically, shoot a couple of frames, add a little bit of makeup, shoot a few more frames. This film, though, really kind of shows that entire process happening through, again, the use of a variety of newer special effects techniques. This film also has a nice mix of humor and horror. And this really is a seminal film for film buffs, particularly those who are into special effects. This was one of those films that is seen as early example of what became the golden age of practical special effects. You know, that late 70s through the early 90s before we started really heavily into computer-generated imagery. So there you go. That's why I chose it. You are a true horror movie buff. I will say, like, you appreciate horror movies and the genre of horror more than I do. I would say that, would you say that horror is your favorite genre of film? 
I would actually. Versus me, I'm much more sci-fi thriller as my preferred film genres. So, because I've noticed overall, I would say you tend to rate horror movies slightly higher than I do. And I wonder if that has to do with the fact that it's your favorite genre. Not always, but it, I would say I noticed that as a trend. What I will say is this, is that with any film in the genre of the fantastic or sci-fi and fantasy, I probably am going to rate those a bit higher on average than I will films in other genres, just because those are my go-to films. Part of the enjoyment of the cinema is to see things that you can't see in real life. I like dramas and comedies and all the other genres, but there is something about the films of the fantastic where you're getting a glimpse of something that's not the real world. That's to me as much more magical, if you will, and attractive. It's nice to escape reality when you go see a film versus have reality shoved into your face sometimes. Okay, well, let's dive into our plot and character analysis. So, Jeff, what would you like to start off with as a writer talking to us about today? I'd like to start with the characters. I believe the characters in this film are well-developed enough for the story being told, whether they are primary characters like Dee Wallace, who is our protagonist, or even some of the secondary characters, you know, minor people like John Carradine, who plays in older werewolf who is kind of sick of having to try to assimilate into the modern world and his teeth are shot which would be a bad thing if you're a shape-shifting apex predator you know all these characters have some fun moments or moments of development so that they all stand out d wallace in particular has a tough job her character has to go from an ambitious reporter who is willing to meet with a serial killer who then immediately is traumatized. And then the rest of the film is her trying to process what happened to her. You know, and she also has to betray someone who then finds out in the space of a couple of days that werewolves are real, that her husband is cheating on her and has become a werewolf, and realizes there's, there's this entire secret world that she had no concept of ever existing. And I think she does a good job of handling those different revelations that her character has to go through. Her character is not just one thing. She's not just, you know, crusading reporter or final girl or screen queen. She has to do a bunch of different things as the film goes on. And to me, it makes a character that, as you're watching, you see her develop. She draws you in and you want to see her survive. So what did you think of the characters? So that was one of the big issues I had about this film was Karen's character, I felt that she became the Becky Driscoll from Invasion of the Body Snatchers of the 1980s. She started very like strong, independent, career-driven woman, reporter on air. They make a point of stating she doesn't take her husband's last name and that she multiple times at the beginning of the film males comment on how brave she is, that she is willing to take the risk of meeting with the serial killer, Eddie, that's become obsessed with her. And like, she's a really interesting character. And then after that experience with Eddie, 
she becomes traumatized she freezes up on air she can't remember the trauma that's happened so okay i get that she's been traumatized but then she just starts psychologically unraveling too quickly for me someone that's set up to be a really strong independent successful career woman to unravel as much as she did so quickly was hard for me to watch and appreciate about her character like all of a sudden she needs a man to come rescue her from the colony that's chris who's a fellow investigative reporter she becomes abused by her husband um he hits her and granted he's turned into a werewolf and is cheating on her and she catches him cheating she doesn't know about the werewolf thing yet but she is pretty sure he's cheated based on some scratch marks she's seen on his back and this and that and he hits her and she doesn't just take the car and leave right away, which I think would have been the right move for her as a character, given everything that we've, she was set up to be. She should just leave his ass. Um, and then she just becomes the damsel in distress, running from the werewolves and needing that a male character to rescue her. And that bothered me that they took her character from such a strong start to ending that way um i i just didn't love where they went with her arc and bill even gaslights her a bit like he's telling her she's getting paranoid when she's accusing him of cheating and this and that um and she doesn't there's a really drawn out scene where she sees eddie again and he's transforming into a werewolf in front of her in a very like long transformation and she never runs she doesn't try to escape she just stays and watches and that bothered me too based on how they set up her character so i it's, it, i think we had such different reactions to karen's character you liked it versus i really didn't like where they went with it yeah i don't agree with that at all i think that First, you have to keep in mind that all this is taking place in the space of about five days. She has been exposed to a lot of trauma, starting with an attack by a serial killer being, and then he's shot by cops, and then she finds out about werewolves and that her husband's a werewolf. And all of these things are just falling down on her at once. And I think the way she plays it out makes sense. I don't think she's completely passive. You mentioned when she's watching Eddie shapeshift and she's just standing there watching. Part of this is because it's a signature special effects sequence. So obviously that's going to be the focus of the film. But she also reasonably is frozen, at least initially, is because she's seeing something that her mind is having a hard time processing. And that's set up initially. Her initial amnesia is because her mind basically is seeing something that she, it can't cope with, that Eddie is shape-shifting. When he completes his shape-shifting in the doctor's office scene, she actually throws asses in his face and escapes. So I don't agree that she's a complete passive character. One thing I do agree with, though, is that as the film goes on and we see more of Chris and Terry's story, as they're piecing together what happened back in San Francisco and kind of figuring out the worlds are real, you know, we do get a little drift of focus from Karen to other characters. And while I think it's necessary for the plot, it does take the focus off Karen. I don't think she becomes passive. I mean, there is a scene like in the second act when she has heard howling 
outside this cabin she's staying in. She goes out with one of the other community members. You know, they're walking around with a gun and a flashlight in the middle of the night in the woods, hunting down whatever's making these sounds that's terrifying her. She's willing to face that fear. Yeah, I think I wanted her to be more like Ripley or something. Like, I I wanted her to be more like, I'm not going to accept this abuse from Bill. I'm leaving and he can, he can, I'm going to take the car and leave. And maybe she's trying to get away in the car and something happens where she can't get away. And then you can have some drama around that. Or that she, Chris doesn't need to be the person that comes in and rescues her with the silver bullets. Like, I just wanted her to be stronger throughout than how they portrayed her. And I think that's, I just didn't like where they went. But I'm also a child of the 90s. So that could be something as well is that I tend to gravitate towards those types of female characters versus maybe how female characters are portrayed more in the 80s. Right. So you're saying you're looking for a more overt heroine as opposed to this character who is presented more as a almost reluctant heroine, someone who's trying to work through some trauma and does at the end need somebody to help rescue her. I don't think she ever comes a damsel in distress, but there is, again, the other guy, although she is the one who ultimately gets to kill her husband. Which was satisfying. But I, I think it had to do also with how they set up Karen. If they hadn't made such a point of multiple people at the beginning saying how she was such a strong, brave, independent woman, she didn't take her husband's last name. She's like, like they really hit that hard at the very beginning. And so I think it was the shift from how they opened her character that bothered me. If, if they hadn't come as hard on that in the beginning, then it might've worked better for me how her arc progressed. Well, that is a consideration when you're developing characters, you have to be careful about overselling them to your reader or to your viewer. If you set somebody up as super competent and then halfway through the film, you know, you need the person to not be quite so competent. So the plot can happen or so somebody else can do something that can stand out to the viewer, to the reader, and it will be less satisfying. Yeah, a better setup might have been that she didn't want to do this, but that the Kevin McCarthy's character, the producer, really, you know, kind of made it, if you want your job, you're going to need to do this because it's good television type thing. Like you could have done something like that where she was more reluctant hero at the beginning going out and meeting with Eddie. Uh, And then I could have bought better where her character went. Okay. Well, let's get into some of the other characters then. Do you want to start with Chris and Terry? Because they are really the other protagonists, really. They're the other important storyline we get. While Karen and Bill are at the colony, Chris and Terry are looking into Eddie's background. And it's through them that we find out that Eddie's body has gone missing from the morgue. We get some really fun scenes with them in this occult bookstore owned by Dick Miller. All those scenes are a clever and organic way to present the modified werewolf lore that we get from this film. Would you like to start with them? Yeah, that that's the other issue I had with their story arcs is Chris and Terry are 
a couple that are both investigative reporters at this news station. And I think the challenge I had is that, one, they the film sets them up to be investigative reporters, emphasis on the investigative. And they very quickly buy into believing that werewolves are real. Like they go to this occult bookstore, which is, it's one of my, it, my favorite scenes in the film. It's, it's really well done, the occult bookstore. But they actually like buy silver bullets. They talk about it like that. It's something that is believable and is the full moon relevant or not. Like they really buy into this very quickly. And I think it would have worked better if they had played it off more Mulder Scully dynamic where one is a believer in the paranormal and werewolves and the other is a hard skeptic but instead you get both of them that are they plausibly think werewolves could be a thing and i think that's the challenge i had with their character story is there wasn't enough of a dichotomy between them and i it's hard for me to believe that investigative reporters would buy so quickly into the werewolf lore well, I agree with your observation that both characters go along the same path and you don't have like a hardcore skeptic or an immediate believer. There is a journey they take. We see that they go to Eddie's home. They find some weird, horrific art, but they also find this landscape that Terry is eventually able to connect to the colony. We know they go to the morgue because there is a scene there and they find the body is missing. You know, this is after the first visit to the bookstore where Dick Miller says that werewolves come back from the dead after three days if you don't use silver on them. But Terry heads to the colony to see Karen and she is attacked by a couple of the werewolves. After she is attacked, she calls Chris and it is after she tells him that werewolves are real and she's under attack that he goes to Dick Miller's store and buys the silver bullets. I take American Express. Do you want to buy these silver bullets? I love that scene. So while I agree that there isn't a character who is a, you know, a scully, if you will, if a, in the Malter Scully dyad, we do see the process they go through. And we know that they don't really think there are werewolves. They just think that they found where Eddie has come from. And it's really after she calls Chris and says, I am under attack, that they truly believe. You do have to assume that, you know, he, instead of calling the cops, goes and gets silver bullets to come in and rescue Terry, but ultimately rescues Karen because Terry is dead. So there's some suspension of disbelief there. But... I didn't have a problem with that because the pace of the story is so fast. The film is only 90 minutes long. It's not some two hour plus story where these plot holes become more glaring, where the assumptions, you know, we have time to question the assumptions that the movie wants you to make. However, it sounds like you would prefer to see more of the journey from not really skeptic, but ignorant of what's going on to believe her. I needed that. Even if you wanted to do the dichotomy, like I discussed with Mulder Scully, it's 
because this film is set in the modern world of the 1980s and because they made these two characters investigative reporters who tend to be skeptical by nature, I needed a little bit more to get me there than what this film gave for Chris and Terry's story arc. Okay. Did you have any other characters you wanted to talk about? No, those were the three that I had issues with. And I think one of the challenges is none of these characters really grabbed me. I wasn't invested in any of the characters in the story. And that may have made it difficult for me to really get into this film. Well, Chris and Terry really are exposition characters. They are there so that the viewer can learn about the werewolf lore and Eddie's background. You've seen their investigation into who he is. Karen is the only character who has any real depth to her. The other characters, as I said, have a moment or a couple of moments where they get to distinguish themselves, but there's not a real lot of work done to flesh them out. They have traits, but they're not really multidimensional characters, and they're not supposed to be. She's the only character that the story really puts effort into developing even if you don't like how they develop her. What else did you want to say about this film? There are a couple of other things. One of the things I like about this film is the efficient world building. We learn about the lore of werewolves and how you know it differs a bit from previous cinema werewolves. For example, these werewolves can shapeshift whenever they want. There's no connection to the full moon, Unlike, say, Lon Chaney and the Wolfman, these world-building moments are done nicely and organically through the scenes primarily in the Dick Miller bookstore. But there are other little moments. For example, near the end of the film, after Terry has been killed and they're in Dr. Wagner's office, there's a bunch of paper spread around from, I believe it's Eddie Quist's file. And there are some nice little charts like showing how a person shifts from human to wolf, you know, diagrams of the skull changing and things like that. I find those moments to be efficient world building, particularly since they're tweaking werewolf lore. There's also a lot of in-jokes for horror fans. There are a lot of references to wolf-based products like Wolf Chili. Wolf's bourbon is in this. There's a couple other things like that. Uh, they mention like Wolfman Jack, you know, the, the DJ. Most of the characters are named after directors of werewolf films or actors in those films. For the horror buff, there are a lot of little Easter eggs. You can really nerd out looking for all those things that were lost on me. Well, that is a consideration. When you're a writer, when you're making a film, if you want to put in a pop culture reference or an in-joke, you have to be careful about that and make sure you're not doing it just to amuse yourself. Movies have an easier time getting away with that because you can just have something in the background. For example, the wolf chili is just a can scene in the background and you're not spending a paragraph describing it. I think these things fail when they either take you out of the story or they become so upfront that it's like the 
creator or creative team or whatever trying to show how clever they are as opposed to something that doesn't distract the viewer or the reader but can be amusing or otherwise you know fun for them one of the reasons this film is important however is what it represents to film history particularly special effects you have a whole host of practical effects being used in this everything from the latex bladders being used in the transformation sequences some puppeteering because you know some of the werewolves like are not people in appliances but they're like animatronics all the way up to a scene of a couple of stop-motion werewolves this film came at a time when that those kind of effects were blooming it was like getting into probably what i'd consider again the golden age right of special effects or i guess i'd say the golden age of non-computer generated special effects this is a year that you had an american world in london coming out which also had an extended shape-shifting scene came out right after alien which had the kind of creature on the screen that hadn't been seen before and it was right before films like videodrome which has a lot of weird body horror special effects blade runner which is just visually spectacular and right after the howling rob botin who did the effects for this film went on to work on john carpenter's version of the thing and he used a lot of the techniques that he first tried out on this film and then kind of just goes nuts with them well i think that gets to a fundamental difference between writing a novel and telling the story through film is that you in in film you have more than just the quality of the story that can carry you through when you're writing a novel you have to have a good story either your plot's got to be compelling or your characters have to be compelling or in really great stories both are compelling um and in film you can get visually stunning films or maybe the characters aren't that well developed the plot is paint by number but the graphics are amazing or the music is amazing or there's the acting is just awesome things like that can elevate a film and rate it higher when the story itself is not that great so i i do think you have a point there and it also might be the reason we rated this film differently is that you knew a lot of that history behind this film that I did not. So I was looking at this film purely from the characters and the plot and how it developed uh, and not so much about the special effects because obviously there's so much better special effects nowadays, right? So I think you knowing that history and how important this film was to enhancing special effects and the types that you can do in film probably creates a different rating in your mind than in mine. So this film holds, as I said, that kind of position or place as one of the groundbreaking 
special effects movies. And whenever a work of art is doing something different, doing something that has been done before, showing you something that has been done before, or even in some cases, taking things that have existed before, but really putting them into a new kind of package in a way that you haven't seen them before. It's kind of hard to have a really great answer for that because as a reviewer, or even just as a consumer, you probably want to be able to say, well, no, I'm judging this on its merits as what it is. Like in the case of The Howling, moderately budgeted, special effects driven horror film. But it's kind of hard to really say that and not have a caveat there, which is that as a fan of these kind of movies and as someone who recognizes its place in film history, that The Howling is not going to get a potentially more favorable viewing from me, that some of the flaws and faults are going to be not something I'm unaware of, but that I'm not going to come down as hard on it because of what it represents. Okay, well, let's head into our wrap-up. Okay, Steph. So what is your favorite scene in The Howling? So I really liked the occult bookstore scene. It was just well done. You have these nuns at the opening that are walking through, laughing about things. You've got the quirky owner of the bookstore, who's clearly a believer in werewolves. And you've got, like, he's got so many books on different aspects of the occult. So many that he needs a ladder to get to the books. Like, visually, it was fun to look at. It was like that quintessential old-style bookstore with the tall ladder. And, like, it was just well-acted. He calls some of the myths of werewolves Hollywood baloney. Like, there's no full moon needed. They can shapeshift anytime they want. And then he talked about, you know, silver bullets and their ability to regenerate after three days. It was a fun way to do world building. And I liked how it ended with him trying to sell them silver bullets. And he made a point of saying he takes Visa and American Express. And he's like, I'm trying to make a buck here. (laughs) This guy ordered all these silver bullets and didn't pick them up. Like, it was... It was just a really fun scene. So, and that was with Terry and Chris. Uh, so, yeah, that's my favorite. What about you? So, I had a three way tie between that scene, the shape shifting scene with Eddie Quist, just for the visual artistry, and also the first night in the colony. There is a beach party where all the secondary characters are introduced, and everybody gets a moment to differentiate themselves from everybody else. And it is clear there is something off with everything that is going on. The way the scene is shot, the way the characters interact, it's just obvious something is off and it sets an uneasy tone for the rest of the film. It is difficult to pick which is the best, but I would have to go with the shape-shifting because it is such a great special effects scene. So what was your least favorite scene? I I know you will disagree with me on this, so you're going to find this shocking given your best scene but my least like scene was eddie quist transforming into a werewolf that you know famous transformation scene that made special effects history and it's not because the special effects which were cool especially given the time it was how long the scene took i felt like that 
scene went on way too long because they had a love affair with their own special effects to the point that it became borderline comical to me watching this transformation versus awe-inspiring and scary and fantastical um, with the face pulsing and this and that. It just, it was drawn out because they were in love with their own special effects. So I did not like that. There was one part about that scene I wanted to ask you about. Before he starts shape-shifting, Eddie is talking to Karen. And he says, I want to give you a piece of my mind. And then reaches into a bullet hole in his skull and pulls out what is either part of his brain or a fragment of the bullet he was shot with at the beginning of the movie. And then he says, I trusted you, Karen, and you betrayed me. And then he starts shape-shifting. Did that seem like it should have been reversed in order, those two lines? He should have said, I trusted you, betrayed me, and then say, I want to give you a piece of my mind, and then start shape-shifting. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, no, that does make more sense to start there. Yeah. This is something that I assume as a writer that you do as well. But when I hear dialogue, I have this thing that's the precedence of dialogue, where you are looking at how the dialogue's structured and how it's supposed to build drama or build on information. And this is one of those moments that I really, as I heard them, like, this should have been reversed. It's not the correct dramatic structure or dramatic dialogue structure. Yeah, I mean, that does make sense now that you mentioned it, but it was not something I would have called out because I was so focused on how long this transformation <laughs> took on screen. I, should, I, was, I was actually going to go back and time it to make a point about it. I didn't end up doing that, but it was long. However long it is, it is worth every second. What about, what's your least favorite scene, Jeff? Well, my least favorite scene is one of the other special effects, and that is the final transformation of Karen. The film ends with Bill, Karen's husband, biting her before she shoots and kills him, and they are back in San Francisco, and she wants to convince the world that werewolves are real. So she is going to shapeshift on camera during a news broadcast, and then Chris is going to shoot and kill her. We have seen that every werewolf looks pretty much the same. They look like these big, monstrous, bipedal wolves. When she turns into a werewolf, she looks like a lapdog. And it was such a weird design. It's like all the other wolves have elongated snouts and huge teeth and these big heads with huge ears and kind of demonic looking. And she looks like something you kind of want to scratch. It's like they gave up at the end of the film and they're like, oh, we ran out of budget because we spent so much of our special effects budget on that one drawn out scene with Eddie. Let's just make, let's do a comical werewolf. Well, the other thing about it is that it seems like the filmmakers want to say that whatever type of werewolf you turn into reflects something about you. She is not a predator who wants to kill people. She is here. She's the hero, but she winds up looking kind of like a Shih Tzu. It is an unfortunate last effect to wrap the movie up on. Okay, so Steph, on a scale of zero to five lichen pandas, no, pandathropes, what would you give The Howling? Uh, I gave this a two out of five. Unlike you, it didn't get any bonus points for being groundbreaking in terms of advancing special effects in cinema. I didn't like Karen's story arc. 
I was more forgiving of a story arc like this in the 1950s with Invasion of the Body Snatchers, not so much in the 1980s. I also didn't find this film scary. It, it was more campy than scary in terms of the werewolf element. So it just wasn't that, it was eh, for me. I could definitely have skipped this one. What about you, Jeff? Well, I gave this four pandas. If I were to rate this purely on the story and characters alone, it would probably be more like a 3, 3.5. It does get a bump up because of the nature of the special effects. I also deny the problems with Karen that you had. I think her character development worked really well. There are some issues with the story that I've mentioned, and not every effect works. So you can see this film had some budgetary limits, and some of the effects are just not as accomplished as others. But overall, this film really helped usher in a golden age for practical special effects and is a solid horror movie. Before I wrap up, I do want to address what you're saying about the horror aspects and this film not being scary. I agree with that. It is not a scary movie. It really is more about the monster. If you're not impressed with the monster, with the werewolf design and the effects, I can see where you'd look at this as just kind of a average horror movie, in particular if you're trying to compare it to special effects of today, which I do not. But I understand why you'd say that. So that is The Howling. Okay, well, what do we have next week, Jeff? So next week, we are going to be looking at The Tomorrow War with Chris Pratt. Oh, boy. Stream On is a production of Steph and Jeff Wright's Media. Reproduction without written consent is prohibited. All rights reserved, 2021.